Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Good Confession Podcast, where three uh, Reformed pastors and friends who love the Word of God, love Jesus Christ, uh, and love Reformed theology discuss one of the greatest confessions of faith there is out there, the Westminster Confession of Faith. My name is Jonathan Cruz. I'm pastor of Kalamazoo Community Presbyterian Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And joining me today is Shane Bennett up in Grand Rapids at Reformation OPC. How are you doing, Shane? Oh, wonderful, Jonathan. Great. And also, as always, we have uh, Andrew Miller, who's pastor in Fredericksburg, um, in Virginia. How's it going, Andrew? Excited to talk about the Trinity. Yes, that's right. So today we're looking at Section 3 of Chapter 2, which is on the Doctrine of the Trinity, which is an immense topic, uh, and yet uh, very succinctly uh, laid out for us in essentially uh, one sentence here. Um, I think Shane's going to read that for us and get our discussion going. Go ahead, Shane. Yeah. Um, so chapter two, section three reads this. In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. So, Andrew, uh, as you hear that, could you just sort of summarize for us what's going on? I mean, as we know, we're talking about the Trinity, but um, what, what, what's the essential uh, takeaway here concerning, concerning the Trinity? Yeah, well, you know, what's distinctive about Christianity as opposed to a lot of other religions and cults out there is that we believe that there's one God in three persons. So that's the doctrine of the Trinity, that there's one being that is God, but in that one being, there's these three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we're Trinitarian, these three persons. Um, and what the confession is saying is that they're of one substance, but they're individually uh, person. Um, so it's just kind of laying that out for us. And there's so much that we could get into with this. Um, you could talk about the way that scripture reveals this in, in, in the word that, you know, Deuteronomy makes that famous statement, Shema, uh, hero Israel, the Lord is one. So there, there's monotheism. We're not polytheists. Um, there is one God, but then there's three persons. Could you um, just define for us real quickly monotheism and, and polytheism since you use them? Yeah, just, you know, just the idea that polytheism, there's many gods, poly, many, uh, you know, you can think about Greek mythology with Zeus and Athena and, and so forth. Uh, the idea that there's many divine beings or several, um, and then mono, you know, mono one, monotheism, there's one God. And so we are monotheists, although some people, you know, I, I would think the um, Muslims criticize Christianity as being tritheist uh you know that there's really three gods um is that a good enough explanation or yeah no i think that's helpful um i guess and maybe jonathan you can speak to this a little bit as well um it's just one of the the most common uh criticisms christians will receive when we start talking about this doctrine is uh they'll start the claim that well you're not really monotheist you're you're tritheist or or you hold to a doctrine that uh is nonsensical those are the sort mm -hmm. of um uh accusations christians will, will receive because the trinity is central 
to our doctrine right. of salvation. In fact, the whole of the Christian religion hangs on this. So, yeah, how would how would you deal with some of those uh, concerns or, or comments? Um, I think we'd, we'd have to, you know, um, anchor our response in the fact that the Trinity, as essential as it is, and it is essential to um, uh, our faith, it is a mystery. And so that means it's something that can never be fully um, explored or explained. Um, you know, we use the word mystery in, at least in Reformed theology, we're not saying it's something that's, um, uh, it's secretive or we need to figure it out or we can't figure it out or, or God's trying to trick us. Um, and mystery kind of refers to it's a, it's a marvel. It's something that um, we can't fully ever fully grasp with our finite human comprehension. And um, there, there are a number of things that are, are, are um, would fall under that category in scripture. <clears throat> but I think most important, more pro- most prominent is the doctrine of the Trinity. So uh, we have to come to it with a humility when people, you know, have confusion um, or even accusation about <laughs> this doctrine uh, we should acknowledge and admit, well, yeah, it is confusing and it's, um, it, it is a mystery. And so, um, you know, we can have some sort of empathy. Why, why would be, um, why would be a, a hard, uh, or why it would be a stumbling block for some people in, in approaching the faith? It's not, it's not readily accessible and, and, um, something that we can just grasp immediately. It takes faith. It takes submission, it takes humility. So those are the kinds of, um, that's the kind of way we need to approach this doctrine, I think. I, I think that's a, I, I'm really glad you um, hooked into that uh, concept of mystery because it's really, um, when we are speaking about God, we have to acknowledge that we're speaking about something that we cannot fully comprehend. Just like when we were talking about the attributes of God, uh, how God is an infinite being, and we can only understand that through the negative. We, we can't fully understand who God is in his essence and his being. And that's part of built in and ingrained in this concept of mystery. But, uh, you know, simply because it's a mystery, simply because it's not fully comprehensible to us, doesn't mean that, um, you know, a doctrine of the Trinity is either absurd or that it's contrary to reason, especially if you're coming to the scriptures to understand who God is as he's revealing himself there. Um, so I think that was very enlightening, Jonathan. Um, uh, so if if we were to uh, go to one of the things that I recently read was that, you know, this is something that we don't see. This doctrine of the Trinity is something that we don't uh, glean from scripture or from uh, natural revelation itself. We, we have to go to scripture uh, to see it as God has revealed himself there. So where would you go? Um, where would you guide people to begin talking about the doctrine of the Trinity? Uh, what are some passages of scripture that might come to your mind uh, to defend it or explain it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it, you know, you're right that we can't glean it from uh, natural revelation, but a common um, um, argument is that you can't glean from special revelation either, because you never find yeah. the word Trinity triune in scripture, uh, which is true. But uh, that doesn't mean we don't find the concepts of, of the Trinity in scripture. Um, and, I think I, my go-to place is um, the baptism of Jesus. Um, it's, it's recounted in, in several different Gospels. Um, okay. Matthew chapter 3, I believe. Is that anyone correct me on that? Matthew 3 or 4? Matthew 4. Oh, thanks. Um, but what I, what I like about uh, the, the scene of, of the baptism is it's 
doesn't just make a reference to all three persons where you have the, the voice of the father and the spirit descending as uh, uh, um, like a dove upon the son. So you have all three uh, persons being referenced, but you see them in action, which reminds us that they are persons. Um, they're not just, you know, ephemeral uh, whiffs of spiritual smoke. They, they do things. Um, they, they speak, they act, um, they are, they are active in our world. And so, um, I, I love that as a, as a, as a quick kind of the defense and articulation of, of what the Trinity is, because it shows us not just the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but also them interacting and working together. Yeah. And you're right. It is Matthew three. And you're pointing out something that I say, uh, to young people when they're coming up in the communicates class here is this Holy Spirit is not the force from star Wars. Um, you know, people get that misunderstanding, but you're pointing out that the word Trinity isn't used. And yet by good and necessary deductions, you're putting these different parts of scripture together. And you're saying, uh, the father is a person, the son is a person, the Holy spirit is a person, you know, Ephesians four talks about grieving the spirit and you don't grieve an impersonal force. Like Mm -hmm. you don't grieve the force in star Wars. Um, and so, you put all these things together and you have your doctrine of the Trinity and as well as the baptism of, of uh, Jesus there reminds us that modalism is wrong. You know, modalism is this heresy that mm. there's one being, one God, one person who takes on different faces or masks. And so this or one modes, person right. is the father sometimes, the son sometimes, the spirit sometimes. And there at Jesus' baptism, you have all three of these persons interacting at the same time clearly not um not one switching from mode to another right exactly yeah that's that's helpful one of the um passages i i try to go to i've I've actually heard it said uh, you know you can't go to a single verse uh to to defend or to uh explain the trinity but the passage of you know jesus's bath baptism exactly andrew what you just pointed out uh, contra to modalism is just one of those excellent passages that uh you see all three persons of the trinity working together and and specifically in the in the work of redemption another passage i i tend to go to is ephesians chapter one because it talks about how before the foundations Mm -hmm. of the world god the father was calling a people unto himself and then uh christ jesus is uh bringing about the redemption he is accomplishing the redemption for his people and then you have uh, the Holy Spirit, who is uh, uh, sealing us until the that day uh, when God makes all things right, and you have all three persons uh, working together, not not just as uh, those who are over creation, um, but over uh, and intimately connected and involved in our uh, redemption as Christians. It's a it's essential to our understanding. Yeah. Um, the uh, the uh passage there in Ephesians 1 also presents the uh, order of the Trinity um, in the same manner as, or I should say the confession here represents the Trinity in the same order as Ephesians 1 there, reflecting um, these ideas of uh, priority with the Father being the the fountain uh, of all things, um, and and that the Son is eternally begotten of the Father, but then the Spirit is proceeding from both. Um, Once again, we want to acknowledge what our confession says that they are one in substance power eternity they are they are equally god and yet there is still this priority um uh, sometimes it's called the economic trinity the way they work um together 
where the Father does have precedence, and then the Son, and then the Spirit. Um, that's in Ephesians 1, uh, it's, and it's reflected in, in the chapter that we're looking at right now. That kind of gets into the question. There's, there's one other kind of question, I think, that is essential to, to understanding the Trinity, and that's uh, the difference between uh, uh, the unity and the distinction within the Godhead. So uh, one of the common ways we talk about this is we say that uh, God is, the Godhead is uh, united in essence, but that they are distinct in persons. Would, would either one of you care to start uh, un- unwrapping that a little bit for us? I, I guess I can start, but Andrew can correct everything I say. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it's sim- maybe it's too simple, um, but just to explain that um, they, they are, the, the, the three persons of the Trinity, they are all equally God. So they are the same God, but they do different things. That's, that's the way I just try to explain it. Um, especially like Andrew mentioned, the young people in a Sunday school class or confessing Christ class uh, or membership class. Um, that's one of the ways I like to at least begin the, the discussion. So they are all the same God, but this one God, this same God does different things. And um, so that's, that's how we get this idea of persons or, or how they actually work in, in creation and redemption. Yeah, and you could go back in church history to see how the Trinity has been challenged and how it's been reaffirmed by the church. The idea that there's a consubstantial of the same substance, and you've got those, those key uh, Greek words, right? Homoe usius of like substance, which is not what we believe, or homo usius of the same substance, which is what we believe mm-hmm. that the Son is of the, as the Father. Um, and you could talk about the, Cre- the Chalcedonian um, declaration there of the Trinity as well. So, so there's, um, there's definitely an, an, uh, a unity to the Godhead in the fact that they are uh, constantly, um, well, I don't want to just, I don't want to frame it. See, uh, listeners, one of the difficulties that we're having right now is that <laughs> uh, it is so easy to step into heresies when you're talking about the Trinity because there is nothing like it. There's no, as soon as you hear someone make an analogy about the Trinity, uh, yeah. they're, they're a heretic. Um, <laughs> there is yeah. nothing for us to compare it to. And so uh, it's very difficult for us to try to uh, explain it in, in simple uh, ways to understand. Um, but the, the, the essence is, or what we're getting at, is that in the Trinity, you see all three members of the Godhead articulated in Scripture as God. Uh, as Andrew articulated earlier, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we see each of them throughout scriptures receiving the title of God. And yet we hear passages like in the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that say, I, the Lord, uh, I am the Lord your God, the Lord, the Lord is one, um, uh, which articulates the unity of the God, that it is one God that's interconnected to one another. And yet I, my understanding is that when we talk about the persons, they each have distinct uh, um, actions or distinct works to accomplish. It, it's the uh, distinction is in in the way they are um, doing something. So what we see in Ephesians chapter one with the Father calling uh, and the Son redeeming and the Holy Spirit um, uh, sealing us until that final day, bringing us new life, um, and that's something that 
we see actually in the end here of this confession where it starts telling us who each of the persons are, uh, that the father is none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The son is eternally begotten of the father. The Holy Ghost eternally proceeds from the father and the son. It's talking about the distinction uh, between these persons. Um, and, and you're delving into church history there with the filioque, that idea, and the son, that uh, the Eastern Orthodox uh, don't accept and don't want to be part of our creed. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, you go to scripture and it seems so clear that the spirit is sent by the father and the son, you know, John, that the uh, section in John, John 15 through 17, Jesus is saying, you know, I'm, I'm ascending and I'm sending the spirit. Uh, as your helper, we're trading places. And so to me, I, I think it's good that the confession has this in there. Right. Jonathan, anything else you'd like to add to this? I, I only have one more question, but I don't want to uh, cut off any conversation. No, go, for, go for it. Um, I guess the, the final question that I would want to pose, because it seems that, again, uh, some of the accusations that Christians will get about the Trinity is, oh, that's just it's just heady doctrine. Uh, it's it's unrelated to um, our daily lives. Is and, and so the question I'd I'd want to pose is why does all this matter? You know, it, what's the why does this matter to me as an individual Christian uh, to believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, or or is this just uh, heady theology that's unrelated and disconnected from how I live my life? What, how would you respond to something like that? I can go. Um, you know, just. This idea that it, uh, the persons of the Trinity um, are full in and of themselves, and they have fellowship with each other. And, you know, and God made us in His image. We're made to have fellowship with other people. Um, that we are a—I'm um, looking for the right word. You know, but we're we're creatures that were made for fellowship. We're made to interact with other people. Um, Richard Sibbs writes about this all sufficiency that God has in the fellowship of the Trinity. That, that he has got us full and bursting forth instead of needing us, needing us to fulfill him. Uh, Richard Sibbs says, if God had not a communicative spreading goodness, he would never have created the world. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost were happy in themselves and enjoyed mm -hmm. one another before the world was. Apart from the fact that God delights to communicate and spread his goodness, there, is nev there had never been a creation or redemption. Um, and there's lots of other good quotes about how practical the Trinity is in this book uh, by Michael Reeves, The Lighting in the Trinity. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Yeah, I love that book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He makes it very practical. If you're wondering how the Trinity is practical and how it impacts your life, uh, I think that's a helpful book. John Jonathan, you want to add anything to that? I can't add Sibs. I think we should let him have the final word. <laughs> Yeah, I think that is actually a really good place for us to wrap up uh, as we come to the end of this particular section here. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Uh, hopefully uh, we will uh, see you next time as we talk about God's eternal decree. Thank you for tuning in.